I don't think this one likes the wind very much. And so, church, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I mentioned 462 days since we were able to gather in one body and sing with one voice. And there's something about singing together and being together that, that functions like medicine for us. Isn't that true? It's like medicine. There's there's something about it that... So it's medicine for Brenda? Thank you. <laughs> it's good for us. And you, we should have felt the lack. I, I suspect if I were to look out, you felt the lack this year, didn't you? We need this medicine. But what I would suggest today in, in our text is that this last 462 days was also medicine for us. Now, it was not a particularly taste medicine. It was kind of like Buckley's, like it, not the medicine that you enjoy, and yet it was, in fact, good for us. It was prescribed for us. I had a couple plans for the sermon today, and um, we had just finished our series, I believe, and the plan is we're going to go into a series now in Leviticus. So we were going to start that up this week. We were going to give a bit of a preamble for the series, but then that didn't seem like a good fit. So I had a couple texts that were rolling around in my mind, and I sat down on Tuesday to kind of pull out some of the study and put it on a page. And about noon on Tuesday, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to preach on any of the things that I prepared. And uh, probably for the first time since I've started preaching here, it was midday Tuesday and I, I didn't have a text, I didn't have an idea. And then the Lord laid Isaiah 40 on my heart. If you're doing the RMM reading plan, raise your hand if you are, or if I'm just talking to myself. Okay, so if you're using this particular reading plan, it was Tuesday morning that we read Isaiah 40. And I remember it in my study, just thinking, this is a, a good word for us. And, uh, and then I moved on because I had other plans, but God just shut down those other plans. He brought me back to this text, and I am thankful for it because I, I do believe this is a, an applicable, timely word for us here today. We're jumping into a book midstream, and, and so for some of you, maybe you're unfamiliar with Isaiah 40, I want to give you a bit of a, uh, a jump start, bring you up to speed. So Isaiah, if you look at chapters 1 to 39, there's really one theme in the book, and it's the theme of judgment. The theme of judgment. God's people have sinned, and they've gone astray, and God is, is sending judgment to refine his people and to bring them to repentance. That judgment came in two waves. The first wave came in the form of, anybody know? Assyria, yeah, excellent, Marianne, Assyria. The first wave came in the form of Assyria. The northern tribe of Israel did not repent, and actually Assyria ran right over them. The whole northern tribe scattered, destroyed. And Assyria surrounded the southern tribe of Judah. And the Israelites had themselves walled up in the city of Jerusalem. And it was looking very bleak. And in fact, this is maybe one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. I've, I tell this one to my kids all the time at night because I just find it such a great story. They're surrounded by the most powerful army on the planet. The Assyrian army, they, they are the most powerful force. And here is little, the Israelites, little Judah, trapped within the walls of Jerusalem and, and they're being threatened. It's not looking very good. And in that moment, surrounded by oppression, they cry out to the Lord. They repent for trusting in other things, repent for trusting in Egypt and their power. They repent for all of that and they cry out to God for mercy because trouble tends to do that to us, doesn't it? Trouble tends to get us onto our knees and reminds us who we need to put our trust in. And so it happened with, with Judah. They cry out to God for mercy and he hears them. And he responds in a powerful way. Do you remember what happens? Over the course of one night, 
This most powerful army on the planet is struck down by an angel of the Lord overnight. King Sennacherib flees. He goes back to Assyria. King Sennacherib is actually struck down by his own sons once he gets home. It is a complete rout. God's people are saved. And you think, well, that must be it then. They must have learned the lesson. Right? Isn't, wouldn't it be great if that's how the story ended? But unfortunately, the story continues. Because the lesson didn't actually settle in here. One generation later, this second wave of judgment comes. And it comes in the form of, who knows? The form of the empire of Babylon. They didn't learn the lesson. A generation later, they're turning back to the same old sin. Turning back to the same old things that they were trusting in originally. And so God says, I'm going to send a second wave of judgment now. I'm going to send the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are going to go a step further than the Assyrians. You see, the Babylonians are going to get over those walls. They're going to knock them down. The Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to take away your young ones. They're going to take away all of your strong men. They're going to take them to Babylon. They're going to burn down the temple. This, this second wave of judgment is going to be even more extreme than the first. That is the note of chapters 1 to 39 in Isaiah. But then you turn the page and you come to chapter 40. And it is the hinge of the entire book. In chapter 40, you turn from judgment to mercy. You turn to this, this note that God, he speaks to his children before sending them into exile. Right? Isaiah is writing before the exile has happened. So before they go, God gives them this word of, of tender comfort. He speaks to his people before their season in the dark. So what did those exiles need to hear? Well, that's what we find in our text today. So I want to invite you to look with me now. Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to read verses 1 to 11. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living and active word to us today. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert the desert a highway for our God every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold. The Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? All gracious God, we need to hear from you today. 
And I pray, God, that the, the message of your word would go forth in power. And Lord, I just invite you to speak today. I invite you to, to speak through me. I've got notes and plans, but I hold them with an open hand. God, we want to hear from you. And I pray that you would just take the truth of this text, God, and, and press it so deeply into the hearts of your people that we would hear and respond, that we would be changed. So God, please move in the way that only you can. And Lord, in the midst of distractions, in the midst of noise from a highway and, and heat from the sun, Lord, in the midst of all these things that might get in the way, Lord, we pray that you would speak powerfully to your people today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Remember, 39 chapters of judgment. God has promised he's going to put his people on a painful time out in Babylon. And rightfully so. They've earned it. They've sinned. They've, they've become complacent. They've taken for granted the generosity and the mercy of God. So there's going to be discipline. And yet, that's not the final word. Isn't that beautiful? It's not the final word. God continues to speak. And like a good father, he, he picks the Israelites up and he puts them on his knee and he leans in and he, he speaks to them these words of comfort. Matthew Henry says here, before God sent his people into captivity, he furnished them with precious promises for their support and their comfort in the trouble. And we may well imagine of what great use to them the glorious, gracious light of this prophecy was in that cloudy and dark day. And how much it helped to dry up their tears by the rivers of Babylon. So that's just it. In the cloudy, dark days, you need truth to stand on. And so, in what we find in this text, I would put forward to you, what we find in this text is what you need to know when you're sitting in the dark. If and when you find yourself in such a place, first of all, you need to know that God punishes, but he does not abandon. He punishes, but he does not abandon. See, yes, the Israelites have sinned, and yes, they deserve this judgment, and yet God continues to speak. He says, I'm going to do something here, and it's going to be painful, but it's for your good. And I won't abandon you here. Alec Machir says, Like tiny children, they've stumbled in the uncertain paths of the world. And they're going to be bruised by their fall. But they have a God rushing to pick them up in his arms. You say, well, where do you get that, Alec Machir? Well, he gets that from verse 11. Look there now. He says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He's going to pick you up. He's going to hold you close. Like God could have illustrated himself in any way, right? And we see all kinds of pictures in Scripture of God. Isn't it incredible that our God, the God who made all of this, the holy, majestic, sovereign God that we've sinned against, presents himself to us like this, like that shepherd just picking up a little sheep, tenderly carrying it back to the flock. Makes you think of Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus who said, I, I'm the God who leaves the 99 behind and I find the one who's stuck in the brambles and the thickets and I, and I pick him up and I, and I carry him back to the flock. That's who our God is. Even in times when we judgment and judgment, he is the God who says, the punishment won't be the final word for my people. Now, if you believe that, it changes the way that you experience and perceive your adversities, doesn't it? And I'd go a step further. If you believe that, it changes the way you see your God. Because punishment's not a sign of abandonment. It feels that way at times, but that's not what it is. On the contrary, discipline is a sign of care 
and concern. The Bible says just that. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines who? The one He loves. And He chastises every son whom He receives. So to put ourselves back in the text, you've got the Israelites, and they've just been delivered from Assyria, right? They're celebrating, but now they get this word that that the judgment's not over. Actually, the next generation is going to be taken away to Babylon. So this is, this is terrible news, right? They're discouraged. God says, okay, you're, you're heading into a season of adversity, and you're going to be tempted to think that I've forgotten about you in your adversity, but you need to hear this. You're not going to Babylon because I don't care. Right? You're going to Babylon because I do care. You're going to Babylon because I love you. And when this is done, I'm going to pick you up like a little lamb that you are. Right, you little sheep, my little sheep people. I'm going to pick you back up and I'm going to carry you back home. The psalmist declares, For his anger is but for a moment, yet his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. I love this quote from Matthew Henry. He says, Words of conviction, such as we had in the former parts of this book, must be followed by words of comfort such as we have here. For he that has torn us will heal us. He will. He strikes us down so as to bind us up. It's like when you got a broken arm and it heals wrong. I've never had this, but I've heard. You know, when you break something and it heals wrong, what does the doctor have to do? They've got to, they have to re-break it. They've got to reset that bone. And it hurts, but it's for our good. That's what happens. Like, sometimes God needs to break us so as to heal us, as we should be. And that is true for the Israelites. That is true for us here, this church in Aurelia. He breaks us so as to bind us back up. Discipline's not abandonment. It's the opposite of abandonment. Discipline is a sure sign that God cares. Next, when you find yourself sitting in the dark, you need to remember that God knows which hurts matter the most. See, from the outside looking in, and I'm sure if we had one of the Israelites here today and we were to ask them, what was your biggest threat? What, what's your biggest adversary in this moment? They would have said, well, Assyria and Babylon. That's the threat. That's, that's the most urgent situation in my life, Assyria and Babylon. And yet God knew better. In fact, God is the one who sent Assyria and Babylon into the lives of the Israelites. Did you know that? It's, it's true. That's what the Bible says. Earlier in Isaiah, when Assyria had surrounded the city, the Assyrian king Sennacherib began to, began to taunt the Israelites. Do you remember this story? And he sent his messengers, and they're shouting up at the walls. And do you remember what they said? They said, listen, you're trusting in your God, but you realize that every city that we've destroyed before you, they were trusting in their God too. Right, so you, do you think that your God, unlike these other gods, that your God will have the power to deliver you? In fact, they even said, in fact, your God is the one who sent us. Now, whether or not they understood that that was true, I don't know. But the reality is God did send them. God was using them. And God didn't take too kindly to Sennacherib's boasting. In fact, God responded. He said this, Shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? Or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? As if a rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. God's saying, listen, Sennacherib, listen, Assyria, 
Yeah, you've done some, you've done some powerful things. You've knocked down some powerful trees. But you realize you're, you're the axe, right? But I'm the one who's been swinging you. And when I'm done with you, I can drop you on the ground over there. The axe doesn't boast over the one who swings the axe, God says. He's saying, I've been complete control. You're the tool that I'm using for my purposes. But that begs a question for us as, as Christians, as readers, trying to understand our God. It makes us ask the question, what on earth was this tool for? What was God working on that required such extreme measures as the Assyrians? Well, if we look again at verses 1 to 2, we find the answer. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Look at that last line there. They've received from whose hand? From Babylon's hand, Assyrian's hand? No. You've received from the Lord's hand. But what have we received? Double for all her sins. Commentator Herbert Wolf notes here, God depicted sin, not the exile, as Israel's major problem. See, Assyria wasn't the ultimate cause of, of Israel's uncomfortable situation, and neither was Babylon. Their uncomfortable situation, all the problems, it was caused actually by sin. And God was utilizing Assyria, Babylon, all these other circumstances. God was sovereignly ordaining all of these things to root out the real problem that Israel had. The problem was sin. Now, I want you to hear that this morning, because I know that many of you know this already. But hear it afresh. Hear that and apply that to your life. Our God is the God who is willing to send his people into captivity in a foreign land for 70 years just to make them holy. You know, we were talking about, I wrote this number down, what is it? 462 days. Feels like an eternity, doesn't it? You know what feels more like an eternity? 70 years. And yet that's who our God is. God will utilize these extreme measures to refine his people, to purify his people, to teach his people, to root out the sin in his people. He'll use whatever tool he sees fit to position us and prepare us for life everlasting. That's the consistent message of the Bible, Old Testament and New. In Romans 8 we read, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for your good. Your eternal good, Christian. God is more concerned with your eternal joy than your present contentment. And he's using all things together for your good. Assyria things. Babylon things. Cancer things. COVID things. All things God is using for the good of his people. Do you believe that? Because if you do... That will change the way that you perceive our circumstances. Because they're going to fluctuate. The circumstances fluctuate, but the God who sovereignly ordains them does not. And he's working. Nothing's wasted. Nothing is chance. Nothing is outside of his perfect loving control. All of it working towards the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. All of it from his hand for your good. The Israelites thought they had a Babylon problem, but the problem was deeper. They had a sin problem. And in fact, and here's what they didn't understand, and here's the, the mind-blowing reality. Babylon was the prescription for their healing. 
Babylon was the medicine. Right, we were talking about how when hearing the praises of God's people, that's medicine. Fellowship, medicine. But this season we just went through, that was also medicine. Nasty medicine, right? Buckley's medicine. But it was medicine prescribed for us from our Heavenly Father who loves us. You know, and here's a beautiful thing. When your Heavenly Father is holding the prescription pad, He only ever and always gives you exactly the right treatment. Always. And he's prescribed this interesting medicine for us over this past stretch. And I had written down some ideas as to what God was teaching us through it all. And I, I'm not going to share them with you because I feel like that would be a silly thing to do. What was God teaching us in all of this? That should be the question on our hearts. I w- so, obviously, God was doing a, a lot of things in this last season. He was doing global things. He was teaching nations. He was teaching global churches, the Church of Canada, the Church of Ontario. But in the midst of all of that, God was also teaching Redeemer City Church Aurelia. He was teaching us something. He was, he was pulling something out of us, exposing something in us. What was it? I'll tell you, as an elder team, we're going to get together in the coming months, and we're going to seek the Lord's face, and we're going to pray, and we're going to make sure that whatever it was that God was teaching, that we've learned it. That whatever it was, that we don't need to go back on another time out again. No, we, that we are learning what it is that God's revealing in us. And again, I wrote some stuff down, but that's just, I want to wait and see what the Lord reveals to us. And I would encourage you. So in the same way that God was teaching Redeemer something, he was also teaching the Denbox something, right? And the Allen something and the Scarlet something. God was teaching each and every one of us our own unique lesson in this season, And so I would say priority number one as we return to some form of normalcy is to get away. Get away with your spouse. If you're single, get away on your own. Bring a a notepad. Bring your Bible. Seek the Lord's face and ask Him, God, what what is it that you are teaching us in this season? Because I don't want to waste a second of the time that I spent in the school of adversity. God teaches us some powerful things there. He knows the medicine we need. He loves us enough to give it to us. Even when we're kicking and screaming the whole way through, He loves us enough to give us the medicine we need. And I'm thankful for that. There's no one else I would entrust that prescription pad to. Because here's the third thing that we we see. Not only is God, He he never abandons us. Not only does God know the, the deepest hurts inside of us, but also God is strong to save. And you need to remember that in the dark too. He's strong to save. Look again at verses 9 to 10. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God. He comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. His recompense before him. It says, Behold your God, infinitely more powerful than any of your enemies, any of your circumstances. Pause. Remember who this message is for. This is the message for exiles. So the people who were going to be sitting under the teaching of this prophecy were going to be sitting under that teaching in Babylon. This is going to be the generation that had heard stories about God destroying the Assyrian army And yet they watched as the Babylonians overthrew them. They watched as their best and brightest were taken away. They watched as God's temple, this powerful God that we're hearing about, they watched as his temple was burnt down 
by the Babylonians. They looked back through tears as they were carried away in chains at their home. Destroyed like that, whatever that was, right? They looked back through tears. Now, and now they're hearing this prophecy, behold your God. And they're, they're probably asking, behold him where? Behold him in these, these mighty walls, these Babylonian walls that surround us? Behold him in the army of these Babylonian soldiers that keep us in line? Behold him as we look out in the marketplace and we don't even understand what people are saying. We haven't learned the language. Behold, as I look at my child who was born in Babylon, who doesn't even know what it's like to be in Jerusalem. Behold my God where? Sometimes our circumstances are so bleak, our souls are so downcast that the world feels so dark and we begin to question the power of God. Maybe you've been there. These exiles in Babylon were tempted to despair. But God reminded them that even in Babylon, they could see the power of God on display. Behold him where? If you've got your Bible open still, flip ahead to verse 26 in Isaiah 40. He says, all you need to do is look up. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. It's as if, it's as if Isaiah is saying, do you think Babylon is impressive? Do you think so? King Nebuchadnezzar is very impressive. He's built some, some massive walls, that is for sure. But would you just look up for a moment? Your God hung the stars. Your God put that cloud right there. He put, he put the moon right there. If the moon was any closer, you realize the tides would flood the earth, but it's in exactly the right spot. And he put the sun right there. You realize if the sun was any closer, we'd roast like marshmallows. If it was any further away, we'd freeze like popsicles. But it's in exactly the right spot, and God put it there. And each and every star, he set it in place. In fact, the Bible says he, he breathed it out. The psalmist says he just spoke it. Look up for a moment. You question the power of your God? So you're looking at Nebuchadnezzar and this, this, this wall he built? So my kid builds things with Legos. It's not that impressive. He says, listen, all flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower our God will stand forever. So he says to them, he says, you're pretty intimidated right now by this powerful king in Babylon and this army. You're pretty intimidated, even though you remember that God wiped out the most powerful army in the world overnight. And yet here you are, you're intimidated again. All flesh is grass. It looks, it looks impressive for you because you're an ant and you're looking up at these blades of grass and you think, who could move it? God can move it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, your God is so high and mighty and majestic over all of these things. And friends, we are just as tempted to believe these lies. We're just as tempted to look at this world and say, look, it's so powerful and so mighty. What could God ever do? The culture is, is turning so fast and the people in power, who, who would ever unsettle them? And then what did God do? He shut the whole world down overnight. All flesh is still grass. And yet the Word of God, the Word of God stands forever. 
then the Word of God has been working over this last year. Even as the world has scrambled, the Word has gone forth in power. It has. It's gone forth in power. The Word of God has transformed hearts and minds, hasn't it? I, I hope and pray, church, as we, we had some of, the, some of the graces that we enjoy from God, we had them pulled back for a season. Right? We, we couldn't sing together. And that's, we need that. Right? We, we're freshly aware of that today. We couldn't have that sweet fellowship. We need that. Those are all things that God uses to fill us up. But you realize in the midst of it all, and even were it to come in another wave and get worse, the Word of God remains. The Word of God, I hope that it's been like manna from heaven for you in this season. Just enough to get you through the next day. Just enough to fix your eyes on your Savior and your King. I hope that you've taken advantage of this time to hide the Word of God in your heart because it remains. It stands firm forever. I hope that you've discovered in a season of of uncertainty that God's Word was a steady rock for you. That God's Word, even God's Word spoken to these exiles in Babylon, speaks true today. And His Word is yes and amen for us in Christ. And all of His promises remained unthreatened. The Word of the Lord is power. He's strong to save. The same God who hung each and every star in just the right place has promised that He will deliver His people. And His Word never fails. Behold your God. And and here's where we're going to conclude this morning. Finally, what do you need to see in the dark? You need to see that God knows the way home. He knows the way home. What a comfort that must have been for these exiles living in Babylon. Can you hear me in the back? Do I need to pause for a second? Can you hear me, Andrew? We'll wait. Not the greatest song mid-sermon, but here we are. God knows what we need. Take a breath. Andrew, everyone in the back. God knows the way home. He knows the way home. What a comfort it was for these exiles living in Babylon, longing to get home from within these walls, surrounded, right? Surrounded by languages they don't understand, a culture they don't understand, feeling completely out of sorts. They needed to be reminded that God knows the way home, even when it feels like an impossibility. God promised that a voice would cry out in the wilderness, prepare make straight in the desert a highway for your God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. See, through the prophet Isaiah, he foretold that God would miraculously make a way for his people to come home. And of course, we know that in the short term, he he did that, right? They were in exile for 70 years in Babylon. But then eventually, you know, the the Medo-Persians overtook the Babylonians. Who Babylon seemed so powerful, and yet the Medo-Persians overtook them. And eventually the Persian king Cyrus was in charge over the people of God. And, and he said, you know what, I'm going to send you home. Which is pretty remarkable. So I'm going to send you home. I'm going to send you to rebuild Jerusalem. And you're going to need some money to do that, right? They're like, yeah, we will. Okay, well, I'm going to send you with money to rebuild it. And you're going to need supplies, right? I'm going to send you with the supplies. And, and it's going to be dangerous the road back with all that money and those supplies. So I'm going to send you with an armed guard as well. And in this way, you can... God leveled all the mountains. He raised all the valleys. All of the difficulties were were wiped away. And God sent them home to rebuild. He kept his promise. 
And yet there was more to the promise. God's plan of redemption was much greater than the Israelites even understood. The miracle went much deeper. Because you see, God had a plan to bring them all the way home. Now we know that his plan went further than just bringing them back to Jerusalem because 600 years after they had been brought home, John the Baptist arrives on the scene. And he says in John 1.23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now we, we fly by that sometimes, right? In our Bible reading, we just flip through these things. But just imagine for a moment what that would have been like for the Israelites hearing John the Baptist. You can imagine some of them saying, John, you're saying that you're the fulfillment of this voice in Isaiah, but don't you, don't you realize we were already brought home? Right? That's why we're here today, John. Don't you remember with Cyrus and, the, and everybody came back and they rebuilt Jer- Jerusalem. John, that's already happened. But John says, no, actually. No, that was a foretaste. But the fulfillment is here. See, you thought that that was the way home. But we, we're still not home yet, friends. We're still not home. We came back to Jerusalem. We, re, we rebuilt the temple, but we're still not home. Do you want to see the way home? And then John the Baptist pointed. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, there is a way home. His name is Jesus. It just turns out that home isn't where that you thought it was. Home is not Jerusalem. Right? Home, home is not a return to normal, church in Aurelia. This isn't the homecoming, as sweet as this is. We're celebrating today, we're joyful today, but we realize this isn't home. And when, and when we're back inside and we've got a hundred people gathered together in that gym, that's not home. It's not. We want to we go home, all the way home, back to the garden, back to the uninterrupted presence of God. And the only way there is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the way. I want to make sure, and, and just pastorally, this is my heart in this sermon. I want to make sure that we see this as we should. Because God is guiding us and directing us. And so for the Israelites, they, they felt like Babylon was this painful detour. But, you know, praise God, he, he finally, he, the detour is done and now we're home in Jerusalem. They didn't see yet that, no, actually Jerusalem's not home. And actually Babylon was a necessary detour. Actually, God was the one who led you to Babylon. We, we prayed today from Psalm 23. The Lord is our shepherd. And sometimes he makes us lie down in green pastures. Something like this. Leads us beside still waters and a nice breeze blows across us and we worship together. And he, the Lord leads us in these days. But he's also the Lord who leads us in the valley of the shadow of death. Right? He was leading us then too. He was leading us over every, every last stretch of this past year and he'll lead us in the future when we go through our next wave of trial. Because this isn't home. Because actually, it's that winding road is leading us to our forever home. To the life everlasting. What he made us for. And when he leads us through the valley of shadow of death, it is for our good. It is to prepare us for our true homecoming. Charles Spurgeon has this amazing quote. I'm stealing this from Pastor Paul. I, I hadn't heard this quote until this week. And it's just the greatest. This might be my favorite quote of all time. I'm hyping it up now. I'll never live up to it. But listen to this. Charles Spurgeon wisely said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Isn't that good? I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against 
the rock of ages. Meaning these adversities, these difficulties, be it Assyria, Babylon, COVID, name your adversity. All of these things, what are they doing? They are throwing us against Christ. They are, they are knocking the feet right out from under us and showing us that we actually we can't trust in some of the things we've been trusting in. That What we can trust in is, is the Lord. Right? Because the grass, all flesh is grass and it does wither. The, the flesh of my government, the flesh of myself, we are weak and frail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so all of these adversities, they knock the feet out from under us, but they cause us to lean on the rock of ages, the Lord Jesus Christ. And church, my hope and my prayer is that we would see with gratitude, with wonder, that over the course of this year and even now, God has been, he's been pressing us into Christ, causing us to lean in more and more, causing us to feel our dependence, causing us to become aware of our need. And that is good. And we've been tempted to, to fight the waves, to curse the waves, to throw off the waves, to complain about the waves, grumble about the waves. I, I would argue that we ought to take a note from our brother Charles Spurgeon. We should learn to kiss the wave for as long as that wave is throwing us against the rock of ages. I, my prayer for us is that we would learn to say with the Apostle Paul, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Because the Lord may see fit to send another wave. And if he casts us once again against the rock of ages, let us resolve to kiss the wave. Because it presses us deeper. It causes us to press up closer to that good shepherd. And what we learn in today's text is that's exactly where we need to be. Because he is the shepherd who will tend his flock. Who will gather the lambs up in his arms. Behold your God. His anger is but for a moment. Yet his favor is for a lifetime. He's perfect in all of his waves. His ways. Well, he's perfect in all of his waves too. That's didn't mean to say that. He's strong to save, church. And he will lead us safely home. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we gather together today and we, we just ask that you would move in our hearts. We ask that you would teach us, God. And I confess, and Lord, I confess on behalf of your people that we are slow learners, Lord. We have, we have always been slow learners. Lord, just like the Israelites before us, that we, we buck against discipline. We buck against hardship. Lord, we just, we just have the hardest time learning the lessons that you, you are teaching to us, Lord. We have the hardest time trusting you. And we, God, we just need your help. I pray I pray that you would work in our hearts today. God, I pray that you would speak clearly to us in the weeks and months ahead as we just seek to discern what, what it is that we're meant to take from all of this. God, I pray that we would leave behind all of our notions, all of our best ideas. And God, that we would just sense your spirit speaking to us. That you would make it so clear what it is that we ought to learn, what we ought to take, how we ought to live now in light of what you've done in our hearts. God, so purify us, sharpen us, strengthen us, cut off all the branches that don't bear fruit. Do it, Lord, even when it hurts. Because we know that you, you understand what our deepest hurts are. You understand the, the way home. And so, Lord, direct our steps, even when those steps take us to places that we didn't want to go. We trust you. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You're going to lead us home. You're going to make a table for us in the presence of our enemies. That's who you are. That's who you always have been. And Lord, you don't change. It's, it's our ability to see you that changes. So God, I pray that you would change our, our eyes of faith today. Change our hearts. Help us to trust you. Help us to be steadfast. And we pray all of this in Jesus' powerful saving name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand and respond with us?